Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Bee podcast, what a surging dollar means to the global economy and markets around the world, and Dow 20K, why no one's partying like it's 1999. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome to the Muddy Beat Podcast. I'm Steve Grosser. Paul is off today, but I'm joined in the studio with Chelsea Delaney, Chris Dietrich, and our special guest today, Lev Borodovsky. Um, and we have a simple topic to talk about. If you picked up the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, um, it, the banner headline was from Chelsea. It was all about the dollar and the consequences a stronger dollar is going to have, um, uh, you know, pretty much around the world. I mean, it, it is going to touch, if you read the story, every corner. Uh, and, and, and Chelsea, I'll just start it off real broad. You know, <laughs> what are some of the biggest impacts, you know, this surge? Because the dollar is now at a 14-year high. Um, it, you know, it has been surging since the presidential election. It got a nice boost uh, post-Fed when um, in a meeting on Wednesday. How much of an impact is how much of a, how much of a concern is the surging dollar? I guess having on the markets right now. Um, well, I mean, the dollar, as you said, is very important to the global economy. It's basically touches all parts of the world. Um, it is very strong right now. The Fed, in its meeting this week, didn't express a lot of concern about the dollar as they have in the past. Um, but I mean. One of the big concerns is China. Um, the strong dollar pressures the Chinese yuan, and um, the country is already dealing with a lot of outflows, money leaving the country. Um, so this could definitely intensify some of those pressures. Um, markets seem fairly calm for now. Stocks are continuing to rise. Um, some of the safe haven plays aren't really in effect. Um, but you know, if, if, if the dollar does continue to rally, it could become a concern again. I was getting Lev. You spoke into this. Chelsea brought up China and the yuan. How much of the rising dollar, you know, impacting the yuan? How much of a how much of a concern is that for? Should that be for investors right now? If it's not yet, yeah, it, it's one of these things that Chinese want. They 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 know that the yuan is going to go lower, and they've said so much for next year. But they're really concerned about a, a more sudden uh, decline. And uh, their biggest worry is that people are watching the yuan because they people in uh, the China residents view their assets as effectively being dollar assets. They, that's how they want to think about it. And so a yuan decline means that their assets are, are falling in value. And they're desperate to get their money out. Um, and so this this devaluation is is scaring them even more. And we have just like we have the twenty thousand on the Dow, the 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 number that everybody's waiting for. Analysts around the world are looking at uh, uh, you know seven renminbi to to the dollar as the kind of the psychological barrier, uh, and we're very close to that. When that hits, a lot of things are going to, you know, people get spooked. We're at, like, what, 6.95 yeah, or somewhere like around that, there? Yeah. I mean, 
We've seen in the past, since you know, last summer or the summer of 2015, you know, investors they're not really concerned about the the Chinese stock market. What they really are concerned about, and the focus is what it says about the you know the Chinese economy and what would you know the continued sort of outflows or a pickup in outflows. I mean, what would that say about the U.S. economy to you know investors outside of China? Um, you look at uh, Chinese assets, uh, Chinese real estate, for example, and, and people are now worried about, you know, Chinese, um, certainly in Hong Kong, you already have the impact where, you know, Hong Kong real estate is, is, is falling and, you know, Chinese real estate could have issues as well, corporate bond issues. Once you start having sort of more of a, a correction in property markets and corporate credit in China, which could, could be a result of this uh, decline, uh, it will it could spread pretty quickly, but also you you have this this concept of competitive devaluation where you look at Vietnam, right? Vietnam is watching China very closely because they want to stay, they want to keep their currency considerably weaker than where where the Chinese are, so that they can compete with them. And as the Chinese devalue, Vietnam devalues more, and you know next thing you know you have you know South Korea and others who will will try to do the same. And that's a that's a dangerous uh, path to follow, and that that's certainly what we're looking at that in 2015, where there's a potential risk, and it could come back. What about um, back at home with the U.S. economy? What does a strengthening dollar mean to? I mean, in the second half, we've sort of seen a strengthening U.S. economy. The data has been, you know, um, significantly better than it was in the first half. Um, that's one of the reasons why the Fed decided that it could raise rates this December and is expecting to raise rates three times uh, next year. But could it, the, a strengthening dollar derail that? Could the you know the economy and also the Fed's plans? Well, yeah, I mean I, the do, the strong dollar is definitely a double edged sword um, because for a lot of consumers, you know, we sort of think of it as a good thing. It makes your foreign goods cheaper, travel cheaper abroad, but it also has a big impact on U.S. corporations um, who export. It can hurt them. Um, it can also weigh on inflation, which could end up, you know, making the Fed more cautious um, to raise rates. And I think, you know, most people agree that the dollar strength was um, a concern for the Fed. And they've, they've definitely talked about the spillover effects the strong dollar has on um, emerging markets, you know, and, and how that that's a concern for them as they raise rates. So I think I don't I don't think it's um, a stretch to say that that is something they're concerned about and that they could consider whenever they whenever they're making decisions about rate increases. And, you know, another aspect that I think is worth watching is is the trade deficit, where um, as Chelsea said, exporters are going to be under a little bit of, of pressure here as the as the dollar rises. But you know, spinning ahead into twenty seventeen. Um, as the trade deficit in the U.S. widens, there could be um, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether the Trump administration, which had you know alluded to p- potential protectionism, a, a strengthening dollar actually you know potentially makes that uh, makes the case around these protectionist ideas a little bit more real. So you know, sort of perversely here, the the uptick in the economy, uh, higher rates, stronger dollar. You know, could feed into some of these these worries about protectionism next year. That's another interesting way to think about it. And so, I mean, that plays a big role also. I think with corporate America, we're just coming out of the third quarter was the first quarter we've actually seen year over 
year earnings growth, um, you know, ended this five-quarter earnings recession. Yet, if you looked during that period, as much as that was driven by oil prices and, and that hitting the energy sector, the biggest thing that companies talked about or the negatively on their earnings call through that whole period was a strengthening dollar. Um, and that, you know, that could really, on top of, you know, sort of protectionist policies, you could see, you know, the dollar will definitely have an impact on, you know, uh, the big multinationals and what they sell overseas. And that has an impact on, you know, how they perform. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of corporations have, have used the the strong dollar as sort of a scapegoat in, in recent years. Um, but it does. Like, it is a headwind for for a lot of companies, especially those who have big op- overseas operations, which a lot of U.S. corporations do. Um, and, I mean, the dollar is at, you know, over a decade high against the euro um, in a lot of EM countries. Like, that's that's definitely an obstacle and, you know, could filter through to stock prices as well. And, and let's talk about just briefly, um, both you and both Lev and Chelsea, about how this impacts also the, the, all the debt that has been issued by, you know, uh, emerging market uh, countries um, that is in dollars and how that affects their ability to sort of pay for that, you know, that debt. Yeah. And I think um, in our story today, we said there's like, I think, $200 billion of, of U.S. dollar debt due next year from emerging markets. Um, and, you know, when the dollar strengthens, it's going to be more expensive for them to pay back. Um, China has a lot of U.S. dollar denominated debt, and it just it gets more expensive. That's just the way it is. So that's definitely a concern. How much of that is a concern and also just the volatility in the global markets and the economy? It, the more vulnerable countries uh, will be most impacted by uh, you know, they're debt denominated in, in hard currency. I mean, Turkey is a great example, right? So they're having their own crisis, but now with a with dollar where it is, their foreign debt, and they have a lot of it, uh, is, uh, is going to become extremely expensive for these companies, and you're going to start seeing defaults, and that's going to spook, uh, you know, this, this will have waves around the, around the world. One of the, I think the other country that is really fascinating in terms of how the dollar is impacting it is Japan, because Japan went to negative rates out of the hope of you know weakening the yen so we could yeah <laughs> could because it's an export you know driven economy uh, that did not work the yen proved you know is a safe haven and people worried about the global economy fl- you know flooded into the yen. However, it, you know, with the strengthening dollar, the yen is now weakening, but that's hitting Japanese government bonds, which Japan's, you know, in their last, uh, the Bank of Japan has promised to keep at, you know, zero rates. How much of a bind is that putting Japan in, I guess, now? Yeah, they're going to have to buy again. I mean, basically, they, they, they bought some, ten, some longer dated bonds uh, a couple of days ago after the Fed. Uh, the bonds rallied, and then they, they sold off again, and the yields rose, and then now it's the yield is back where it was before they, they went in. So uh, the, the stronger dollar and higher rates in the U.S. are forcing the Bank of Japan to keep keep buying, and that's, you know, put, put, it'll put pressure on their balance sheet. But they're also talking about raising their economic assessment for the first time since 2015, um, and there's, there's actually talk of them raising interest rates again. Um, so, I mean, that is an issue, but for, it seems overall they, they, there is a more reason for, for them to be optimistic about their economy right now. 
How much – we've seen the markets just since the election. I mean, there's a euphoria almost, it feels like, in the markets. Like, <laughs> they are betting that, you know, that the global economy is going to do better next year. The U.S. economy, at least, is going to be doing a lot better uh, next year. Um, they're buying into all the policies that, you know, um, that Donald Trump has talked about, that they're going to, you know, work out just as, you know, everyone would hope. How much could the strengthening dollar – sort of get in that way. Yeah, I, I feel like there are several obstacles to that anyways. Yeah. Like, how how realistic is it that all of these things are going to be implemented? What's the timeline? Um, but, I mean, the, the dollar, it, it can constrain the U.S. economy. Um, so that, I mean, that could be an issue. And also, you know, protectionist trade policies also, we don't know what the impact of that would be. Um but it, it seems like that's a concern as well. So I just spoke to um, a, a, a sort of privately owned business that's sort of an IT business. And in the process of making decision, they, they, decisions, they, they, they want to open a, a help desk, right? And their choices are Tennessee, the Philippines, or India, right? And guess what they're going to do? With this dollar strength, they're not going to choose Tennessee. And that's just an example of corporate boardrooms uh, you know, making these decisions uh, where Americans are not going to get jobs because of the dollar strength, which people don't tend to think about it, but that's that's happening. <laughs> and and the policy so far of keeping jobs isn't going to be able to save that's jobs right. like that. That's right. Well, if you look at the manufacturing sector, I mean, that's been incredibly hard hit by the strong dollar, and we've just recently started yeah. to see an improvement in the manufacturing sector. So, I mean, that that's a very that's a place where we could see a big impact. Um, I think that's a, probably a good place to take a break. Um, be, we'll be right back after this. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years. A lot has changed, but one thing that remains constant, including the different types of durable income and in portfolios, can help investors meet their goals. With expertise across income and alternatives, Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. I'm Steve Grosser. Once again, Paul is off. Joining us for this segment are Corey Drebush and Aaron Kurloff. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Follow us on tw- on Twitter at WSJ Podcast and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on your Android devices. Um, I want to take everyone back to 1999. Rudy Giuliani, Dick Grasso <laughs> closed out the session. Uh, the Dow hit 10,000. There are hats thrown in the air. There's paper, uh, actually. Like the paper, paper orders yeah. thrown in the air. Thrown in the air. Um, there was a party. Oh. I, this was the middle of the tech boom. 
the euphoria, irrational exuberance, one might say, <laughs> had taken over the markets. Um, and now we sit painfully waiting for the Dow to cross 20,000. Yeah. There's no party. Not so much. Let me check the uh, Wall Street Journal app about whether the Dow has crossed uh, 20,000 yet. And uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or 18,000 if we're headed to write that right. down. <laughs> I don't think there's any group then you wait, who wants the Dow to cross 20,000 <laughs> or at least move <laughs> significantly in the other direction <laughs> than this group of people right now in the, in the podcast. Um, this, I mean, 20,000 makes for really great newspaper headlines, and it's a great moment to really take a step back and, and, and look at the markets and, you know, in this case, this sort of really fast rally. But um, how much does this you know, hitting 20,000 really mattered to the markets? Well, I think traders would definitely say they're, some traders would say they're excited. Um, others would say, as they like to always point out, it's just a number. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Um, the New York Stock Exchange, for one, does not seem that. They don't really want to make a big party. Or, and, and to be honest, Dow Jones no longer owns the, the, yes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Mm-hmm. Um, and the S&P, uh, what is it, S&P Dow Jones Indices, Indices yes, they own. Um, which now own it, are not planning any big celebrations either. They are, they are one of the reasons that the NYSE is now going to have some hats. Okay. Um, we had contacted them on Monday, no hats planned, and then by Wednesday morning, ha- some hats were planned. And S and P Dow Jones indices are part of that, helping make some hats. So, but this is really not the celebration no. that we saw when we passed no. ten thousand. No, it's a very different time and a very different situation in the markets. Yeah. How how much too does does the fact that I mean it's been a very transformative decade for, you know, traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with electronification mm-hmm. with I mean it's you know, look any day on, on C N B C and you find far fewer bodies, far fewer people that are actually taking orders in the middle of the day too. I mean it's a very different like venue for celebration yeah. too, right? Yeah, and I was talking to a uh floor broker the other day who has been there since I think we said like late eighties. Um and he was discussing how, like, he was like, there were 7,000 or so traders on, or people on the floor between traders, clerks, runners, um, personnel, and now there's less than 1,000. And it's funny, when he was telling me about these clerks and runners, and I was asking what they did, and they used to run or paper orders back and forth, I thought, oh, that's so antiquated. And then we were looking on eBay, and one of the original Dow 10,000 hats was on eBay. I got in touch with the seller, and he actually owned it because he was a clerk when Dow hit 10,000. That's the only way he got it. And, I mean, I I think the other thing, too, is like Dick Grasso, who was running the exchange at that time, really saw the marketing power of, you know, the exchange and having, like, you know, these celebrations. He's the one to turn, like, when you have an IPO and ringing the bell and closing the bell into sort of a moment that people um, – so, so I don't think it's surprising that his marketing would have, you know, uh, Acumen would have had – would not have taken advantage of this moment to sort of sell right, and like to, to attract more listings because yeah. that's really where they make their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. um, but also – I think speaking about how much this rally too, and not I'm not talking about 
the rally since the presidential election. I am talking about the rally since November, uh, March 9th, 2009. Mm-hmm. This is really has been one of the most hated <laughs> bull markets, I think, you know, probably in our, our memories. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, been able to think of good reasons for stocks to go down for a really long time. And uh, unlike 1999, where things, you know, Qualcomm went up 30% every day and everybody felt like they were making tons of money and the economy was roaring, the economy has not been roaring and gains in the stock market have not um, made up for, uh, you know, the sort of low return world that a lot of uh, sort of retirees and older investors live in. Um, the exuberance uh, that Alan Greenspan felt back then really has not translated yeah. over. And, as in, and it just like the economy and the stock market, because of you know the quantitative easing and Fed you know monetary policy, have sort of been disconnected. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. we've had this low growth economy for since you know the end of the financial crisis, while the market has risen you know to. 20,000 now. I mean, yeah. And a lot of traders and people we spoke with earlier this week and in past weeks of reporting have also mentioned that back in 1999, it felt like everyone was doing well. Everyone was a part of right. the stock market. When the stock market went up, that was a that was a, something that we should all be happy for. It was it was a measure of all of our success, and especially in the last eight years, since so many um, folks were scared out of the market, or maybe they do have investments in the market, but it's through four hundred one ks that they don't monitor that often. It, it doesn't feel as personal to them to see the Dow hitting twenty thousand. It's it seems more more far off, more Wall Street, more capitalism what what is i find sort of somewhat fascinating about the this move right now is the speed at which we've gone from 19,000 to 20,000 if we do hit it um and we're you know within a I think roughly 100 points depending on the moment um you're talking about the fastest period um, to cross, you know, a thousand point increment now as the dow gets bigger a thousand point increments aren't quite what they used to be but we we saw a similar, almost similar speed from ten thousand to eleven thousand, mm-hmm. and then the market stalled. It got to I think eleven seven hundred. I think it was eleven seven hundred and seventy one or something like that. And then that was the end of the tech, you know, bubble, and it was uh, sliding there. Are we? Do you, does anyone? Uh, are, is anyone commenting to you guys that we're seeing like maybe the last stages? of uh, the stock, this bull market. (laughs) I did, you know, I talked to one in surveying professional investors, you know, about whether or not they they care much about the Dow. And truth be told, professional investors often will say that this is sort of the language for ordinary people and then themselves don't really ever look at it because their funds aren't benchmarked against it and so forth. I did find one technical analyst who set a price target for the Dow slightly above because for him, Hitting twenty thousand, people are probably going to note. They might, you know, the the relatively small group of people that are in the market are, are might maybe you're just anxious and it'll take profits. And so for him, at least in the short term, it's not the he wasn't calling the end of the bull market per se, but this idea that yeah we'll get to twenty thousand, creep a little bit higher, and then people are probably going to you know sell some of their winners. That was you know at least in this person's mind a very real phenomenon or will be. I mean, you could see this sort of. This twenty thousand pulling some of the retail investors back into the market, um, as but a lot of people sort of maybe pulling out. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of um, we've seen uh, credits. We did some uh, work for 
uh, us just to look up some trading activity. And right after the election, right when the market started going up, we saw retail trading activity really spike. And I think that was more of we've started to see a lot more trading activity, and it looks like a lot more buying orders from what we can tell. It's hard to generalize. but And that's what – it's interesting what Chris notes um, – because I've talked to folks who've also mentioned a little bit about the Dow 10,000 spiking. That was, if we, that's what we're trying to beat for swiftness of getting these 1,000 points is the 1,000 points that took from 10,000 to 11,000 from late March to May 3rd, I think. And once you hit a psychologically important number, it usually begets more buying. Um, But then you could really see some sort of pause. And Speaking of the most hated rally, I think there's a lot of expectation that this is the end of the rally, not the beginning stages. Well, I mean, I guess no one's partying like it's 1999. (laughs) But um, sorry about that. Um, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Thank you, Aaron Kurloff, Corey uh, Drebush, and Chris Dietrich. We will see you later. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.